Alright. Headbangers, Earth Dogs, Zedheads, most welcome to episode 117 of Maiden A to Z. A little preface for me. Last time I was clearly late, right? I actually popped over a message to Eric before I was, but when I knew I was going to be too late, like right around the time we were supposed to start, George and Eric weren't in yet. But when they were, I wrote again and said, uh, go ahead, uh, start the episode, because I knew Eric was going to be busy later anyway, right? As you could see in the in the episode, so no harm done, really. But the bad part is, for the next session, which leads up to this show that you will hear, that I haven't heard yet either. Well, anyway, the bad part about this is that I overslept again. I think it was noon on a weekend day, and I had been up late, uh, not partying, but uh, hanging out with my guitars and uh, the audio workspace. Anyway, missed this one entirely, but I'll compensate now by adding some of my comments, maybe a little guitar playing, listen through and add my bits and bobs as it goes. All that said, I have to also extend an apology because I know many, many people have had to wait for me over the years on many occasions. It's not something I take joy in. It's not because I don't care. I'm just really, really bad at that shit. I have improved to the point where I can get the time for work and for traveling. You know, it could probably be diagnosed, but uh, I'm not the one to do that. I've had friends like this year and last year, friends, uh, newer friends tell me that, or actually pretty much, you know, just scold me for for my timekeeping and uh, I really try to get better, but it's not going so well. Sure, I can now make job appointments, I can now make travel appointments. But I'm still pretty shit at it. And over the time since I started to try and get better at it, I've learned lots of other stuff that should technically take longer to learn. So apologies to Fergal and Eric for missing this session and uh, everyone else, surely many of whom are listening, that have had to wait for me. Here we go. Maiden A to Z, it. Hello, welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric, and with me is... Uh-oh. Where is he? No, well, John is not here yet. Or we don't really know where he is. But uh, thankfully I'm not alone here, uh, because I'm uh, joined by our reoccurring guest slash sort of co-host person, Mr. Fergal Trainer. Hello, thank you for that kind introduction. <laughs> Sort of co-host person. I yeah, that's there you go. That, called that before. <laughs> just put, put that on the old resume. <laughs> <laughs> Top line. Uh, yeah, we've we waited about half an hour or so, so we're going to just take a stab at something. Let's just jump right into it. This is uh, one of my favorites, and I think you've said it's one of yours as well. Yeah, it always has been, actually, since the first time I listened to Brave New World. Um, it's one of the standouts on the album for me, and I think, actually, it's... Um, a lovely kind of final two songs on that album and that's kind of it, I think the album slightly picks back up with this song mm. actually not that it really dips too far but it does dip a small bit and this is a nice way to pick it back up at the end before it on the album you have the Nomad correct? yeah I do love that song but it is a bit of a 
it's a bit sort of slower. There's a bit sort of more going on dynamic wise. So I think that it's it's not quite of a. This is way more energetic. So I, I get that it, it does really pick up again. Sort that's of. Sorry, like, but like with the, that stretch of mercenary, dream of mirrors, fallen angel, nomad. While I love that album, and it's probably still my favorite Iron Maiden album, I'd say they're probably my least favorite four songs on the album and they happen to come all one after another um so it, it's a nice welcome change when out of the silent planet kicks in It's the one we've played most with the, the tribute band Infinite Maiden. This is the one. It's been played on three out of four shows. So the most played one from Brave New World. We've played Wicker Man on two out of four shows. I also like starting it on the like Maiden did the very few times they played this song live. I think it's better. I think that campfire intro is I don't get that at all. The <laughs> strumming of the guitars and For me that's some not where it picks up again, it's rather where it goes down again after The Incredible Nomad. I would say the only song that I like less on this album, which doesn't really mean I don't like them, right? It's a great album, it's a very strong album, would be uh, The Fallen Angel. And um, The Mercenary used to be one, but I think ever since we did the episode with Andy and dove deep into it and listened to uh, the Rio version, uh, it's actually a pretty killer track. So again, strong album. To, for this to be my second least favorite doesn't mean it's bad at all. It's a pretty cool song. Let's head on. I mean, if you look at the opening of the album, where you have the you know the Wicker Man, Ghost Navigator, Brave New World, and Blood Brothers. Well, they're the hits, really, aren't they? I think all of them have shown up, you know, later in concert uh, situations, whereas uh, the you know the Jima Mirrors and the Mercenary have not. Mm, exactly. Um, and of course, we as the song we're talking about today uh, has been played on a few occasions, but uh, it's sort of largely just sort of been. I mean, just very, like you said, like, was it, I think you said four times? I just had a quick look there. Yeah, four times in early January 2001, and then never to be played again. Which is really too bad, I think. Yeah, um, obviously they can't fit in all these old, you know, nuggets from all this kind of, these different albums that they've done in the last 20 or so years. But um, as we've, has been, has been discussed to death, I suppose, it would be nice the odd time to hear something like this, but... It just doesn't really seem to fit with the plan with Iron Maiden in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so to pull out like little nuggets like this. Unless they go so long that they do like a, if they, I mean, if they, if they do a tour where they sort of revisit the, uh, this era of the band, maybe they would do it. But I think then probably they would just play the stuff they played the first time around. Most likely, yeah. Well, if you're basing it on previous tours, I, I suppose the real kind of reveal here will be this summer what kind of songs they play from somewhere in time. Obviously, as well, they probably don't have too much longer left, but if they did dip into the more obscure songs from somewhere in time, that might give a small bit of hope that if we do get another tour after that, that they might continue to do things like that if it's received well. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that it's... 
It's interesting because you have these, like, there's so many different theories of what's going to be played this summer. And obviously, I mean, it is a golden opportunity to, to throw in some of these songs no one's heard, you know, they haven't really done before or haven't done, you know, since, uh, you know, that, you know, the original tour. But yeah. they also only have a certain, you know, they only have so much time. Um, mm. I mean, nowadays they're playing what, maybe, probably their set lists are usually around like, Oh, like 16, 17? No, not, not even that, is it? Let's see. Um, what, was the, what was the last tour here? Because there's only, with all these songs, especially if they're doing it's, you know, Sinjutsu bits as well, those songs are pretty, you know, those are not short songs. No. I think, I mean, we kind of get an hour and 45 minutes or thereabouts, I think. So the number of songs, I suppose, um, is a reflection of how many songs they can fit into that time yeah. <laughs> rather than... Uh, so I think we got 15 on the last tour, but you've got lengthy ones in there, you know, like the Clansman and uh, Senjutsu itself and Sign of the Cross and all of those. So they would obviously take up the space of maybe two shorter songs. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was sort of surprised that... I felt that um, the Clansman sort of that late in the set was kind of interesting. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I, 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 there's so many, there's so many songs, especially from, I think probably people are more so excited to hear the, uh, somewhere in time stuff. Yeah. The yeah. stuff. I mean, most of the most part, at least. I mean, I am as well. Like, uh, I, I, I didn't think we were ever going to hear anything from that really ever again, beyond wasted years and possibly heaven can wait. And it seems like we definitely are going to hear two or three more. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I think I think we're definitely going to get Strange in a Strange Land. I'm I'm almost certain of that because that was in the teaser. Mm. But we'll see. I mean, it's interesting. That's not. I guess it's not why we're here today. Um, no. <laughs> uh, but as uh, as often is the case, we tend to veer off topic a bit. Um, this is uh, if I if I'm correct, it is uh, composed by uh, is it Bruce uh, Yannick and Steve, right? I have to take your word for it. There, I'd have to bring it up now. Yes, indeed. Yes, it is. Bruce Yannick and Steve. Very good. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it has a. Um, no, knowing what I you know, back then, obviously I had no idea. But not knowing what I sort of know now, and sort of how how they tend to kind of write songs, I would have almost I would have almost guessed it was an Adrian. There was some Adrian bits in there, but it's a uh, because uh, the solo is very very very. It feels to me very Adrianish. But of course, if I, I'm not I'm I'm not the expert in that. Uh, the expert is uh, currently. Uh, well, we don't know where he is. A wall. <laughs> Uh, I, I think the guitar tone is more Yannicky on this song and that's yeah. what kind of would give it away for me I, uh, again I'm no expert on talking about guitar solos or breaking down um, different types of guitar sounds that are used or things like that but to me this sounds quite Yannicky this has that 90s sounding uh, guitar tone that you would yeah. have heard on uh, definitely Final or sorry uh, Virtual Eleven and maybe the X Factor to a degree as well obviously uh, I'm a big sci-fi fan I'm wearing a fucking Star Trek cap at the moment uh, mm. hat uh, this also has a very kind of sci-fi vibe. Just it also it's also uh, the title is taken from a Philip K. Dick novel. Is that correct, or is it Philip K. Uh, C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis. What is it? Oh, yeah. yeah, more famously known for the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, and I was just having a look at this as well before we started recording. So it's a science fiction novel from 1938, which uh, became part of what became known as the Space Trilogy, which featured uh, recurring characters throughout the three books. Uh, looking at the plot. I don't think it relates too much to the song lyrics, but um, <laughs> it's a nice title. Well, let's um, now uh, for people who sort of are ha- are planning to read this and have not thus far, uh, there might be some spoilers here. 
Because you, you, you read the, you, you didn't read the whole thing, but you read the, you, you have the plot sort of. I just read the plot breakdown. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I'd be, even be able to spoil it because there's so much language that's specific to the book and obviously words that were invented by the author that uh, <laughs> even trying to give away the plot might be difficult. All right, say, say you're at a, you're, you're trying to recommend this to someone, you're, you're, you're having a few drinks with someone and you, you're trying to do like a, the uh, sort of a, uh, just a Elev- pitch. Elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Okay. So it seems like it's uh, about a guy who is a philologist, which I learned is somebody who studies language, gets kidnapped by two people, one a former college colleague and another a scientist, a prominent scientist, uh, and brought to this foreign planet called Malacandra um, to meet uh, someone known as the Iarsa, uh, who wants to see a human being in person before he will allow any further exploration of his home planet uh, by humans. Uh, One of the scientists has an ulterior motive of wanting to visit there because gold is plentiful, unlike on Earth. Uh, But the other scientist, or the other guy, wants um, to visit there because he thinks the human race should expand out into various other planets in the solar system and not just um, planet Earth because the Earth's resources are being depleted Mm. uh, rather quickly. And uh, the guy who's kidnapped, his name is Ransom. I uh, can't see his first name here. He ends up escaping, and then there's this whole um, kind of caper aspect to it, it seems. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I won't say any more than that, but what it was quite interesting to read was in the final chapter of the book, C.S. Lewis introduces himself as a character in his own novel. Uh, mm. So that's kind of breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. Uh, you wouldn't expect that from something in the 1930s, but there you go. Well, there we go. Yeah, uh, that spontaneously does not sound like it has a hell of a lot. To, the song doesn't really have very much to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, uh, but they often but yeah. they often do that, don't they? Like where they, they're the same title and has very little to do with the actual. I mean, we discussed. I think we did when we did murders in the room org. That doesn't have a hell of a lot to do with the Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, yeah, thing, and except and for the title. I think oftentimes, um, and this is just pure speculation on my part, that. Whoever's writing the song, in a lot of cases it might be Steve, will pick a title of a well-known, or not maybe slightly obscure work, like a film or a book, as a starting point, I'd say, and then just write something from there. But I think the title is just basically somewhere to start writing a song from. Not necessarily is it always going to be a direct link to the, the previous work. If I'm trying to write something music-wise, I, I often find it helps to have something like that so you kind of know in your head where you're trying to make it go, even if it's just like, figuring out riffs and stuff. If you have sort of like a uh, a cool kind of like idea of like what what, what sort of flag you're flying under, so to say, or, or uh, then you then you, it's always easier to figure out. You know, and the rest kind of sometimes, at least for me, comes together uh, a lot a little easier. Exactly. Yeah, I've spoken to people in the past, and they were just talking about the songwriting process. They said um, that if you limit yourself initially, it actually creates greater creative freedom because if you have everything in the world to write about all at once it often causes writer's block. So if you at least pigeonhole yourself in some way, that actually gives you a broader uh, kind of creative outlet of what you can write about, instead of just trying to write a song about anything. Most certainly. Whoever you spoke to, I'm in the same boat. I'd love to have some limitations set up. It could be arbitrary things like the length of the song or um, the theme of the song or, you know, whatever I'm trying to say. It's a good thing 
to have those barriers set up. Well, maybe not fundamentally or super strictly, but uh, like I said, I think it was just a couple of weeks back with uh, Axel from Number of the Beast. With this show, we can talk about most things. As long as we keep honoring the curriculum of doing every Maiden song, we can veer off into pretty much anything, and I like it. But that said, we can't really sit down and just start talking about life, because it's like, where do we? Where the hell do we start? And it's kind of the same thing when you're writing a song. It's very nice to first limit it and then expand. I, I, well, this, this is an incredibly uninteresting story because I can't really tell anything about it. But <laughs> so I, 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 I took something very specific uh, and just like a, a, a term from like Star Trek and then I sort of wrote around that and then I made that, that how, that's how I made it work. And it's such a sort of niche kind of thing. But if I just sort of left like I want to do something, right? if you have the entire, you know, if you, you, you limit yourself to like one or two crayons in the box, you can probably make something work. If you have all the crayons, it sometimes is a little harder. That's uh, it. I'm, th- this, this, this project does not involve crayons. Uh, <laughs> not there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> All right, looking forward to your Crayola biopic coming there up. There you go, very good. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's take a look at the actual lyrics here. I've you know been listening to this song twenty plus years. One of my favorite songs from the album. I don't think I've really reflected too much on what it is about. Yeah, it it's I, I'm in the same boat, um, but I did have a quick look at it today. Um, yeah. The lyrics to me are never something that really stood out as no. the strong point of the song. The strong point would be the melodies, the vocals, and the guitar in yeah. general. Um, but when you do look at it, I suppose there's uh, some meaning you can derive from them. Um, deserted by the hands of gods of their own creation. You know, are we talking about uh, society created religion and then religion deserted society and yeah. left us all in a mess, basically a great big old mess. Uh, withered hands, withered bodies begging for our salvation, deserted by the hands of gods of their own creation. That to me seems to indicate that uh, religion is a kind of, is a social construct uh, that was created by humans and it's done more harm than good, potentially. Yeah, and then because also you have the the punishment is death for all who live. Mm. Uh, have you seen Have you seen a show called Torchwood? I haven't. No. Uh, well, it's, it's a Doctor Who spinoff, and in, in one of the seasons, there's this these. Uh, it, it, but it's sort of more. I was going to say based in reality is the wrong kind of term. I'm not what I'm looking for, but it's not quite as uh, over the top and campy as uh, Doctor Who would often be. And in like the third season of Torchwood, there these aliens show up who basically is, well, spoilers for everyone who for everyone who's planning on watching this. It's like over 15 years old at this point. Um, and they they come and they apparently they they uh they I I can't remember exactly what they want but I think they want to kidnap a bunch of children. But what happens is you get a lot of religious people that when the aliens show up, uh, they, they, a lot of people commit suicide because they feel that they sort of that science won and they sort of like have like well if this if this exists probably our thing is wrong as well and maybe that's oh, okay so like you, having yeah. that kind of realization maybe really that that maybe that's sort of like because you have like. You mentioned the idea of religion having abandoned uh, being a social construct, and then maybe maybe realizing that's not the case, and there is nothing, and that therefore the punishment of, is death for all who live. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we created religion; it screwed us. We're all gonna die. Hate that. Um, what's funny is in the book, Earth is referred to as the Silent Planet. Probably that's the key piece of the plot that I didn't ah. mention there in my plot summary. So we are out of the Silent Planet. Uh, <laughs> so he's talking about mm. Earth. Um, I think that's the only real link to the book that I can make anyway. Not that I've read the book, of course. I've just read the plot summary on Wikipedia. But <laughs> there you go. I am kind of intrigued. Maybe I will check this out at some point. 
And then later on, when you look, he's saying separate lives, no more disguise, no more second chances. So is this exploring the idea that maybe up until now we've talked about the afterlife and everybody gets a chance to do it over again? Yeah. But let's get down to brass tacks here. Does any of this really exist? Uh, we're all living separately. We don't have. A, we can't disguise ourselves with this anymore. We don't have another chance, and we're all gonna die. That's interesting. I mean, that's that's. This is all sort of like you know vague enough that you could also everything we're saying could obviously could be exactly what they're thinking or not at all what they're thinking but that's always the case of this kind of stuff i guess uh mm. and then it's sort of like uh a lot of the lyrics is basically just sort of repeating the time you know the, the out of the silent plan is repeated many many times uh yes <laughs> you know we we, we infamously uh, on this show uh had a lot of fun with the uh you know don't look to the eyes of a stranger being repeated like a gazillion times this is repeated quite a few times mm. in this song. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what it is, though? Like, I'm willing to give it a pass because, one, don't look to the eyes of a stranger is a clunky sentence that grammatically doesn't make any sense and is just annoying anyway. Uh, don't you think I can save you, etc. Again, it's just really kind of cringy. This, and I know maybe out of the silent planet as a sentence doesn't really make sense either, but um, it's... I think when it's this good, when the melody is that strong and the singing is that strong, I'm willing to give it a pass. And they do change it up in tempo and they do change it up slightly a couple of times throughout. Yeah, I never thought that much about the title being repeated a lot. Uh, I thought more of that in like Show Them No Fear, Show Them No Pain in The Mercenary, or even in Blood Brothers, where Blood Brothers. I don't think that's an issue in this song whatsoever. And I think, you know, to Fergus' point, really strong singing here. The verse I just put in here right before, and the harmonies lives at the end of the pre-chorus are great too. And the next verse is going to come right up now has some really cool singing. Love the Crushed by Equilibrium. All I'll say is that after I listen to this, I can go around singing it in my head afterwards. Um, and not in a way it was like, oh, I wish I could get that song out of my head. But the opposite, kind of like, isn't that such a good song kind of thing. There's some incredibly catchy vocal melodies uh, throughout the song. Uh, incredibly strong stuff. And I guess, don't look to that stranger, perhaps does not have that strong. <laughs> I know, I'm just putting it out there. That might be the case. Yeah, I... I don't think so. I mean, like, Jesus, they, they just improved in every conceivable way in the short period of time between um, the writing of Virtual Eleven, which I do quite like, obviously, and um, and Brave New World. And even the repetitive uh, songs like that got better. 
Well, I think that also, like we, we mentioned earlier about how it's easier if you know what kind of flag you're working under, it makes things that you, 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 you can be inspired to do stuff. And I think perhaps just having, maybe, you know, with Bruce back, and again, he probably wrote a lot of these melodies, I guess, but just that the situation that they were in while writing this album was probably a bit more inspiring. Oh, yeah. It's the freshness of it all. It sounds fresh. like, And I, and I think it even sounds fresh to this day. And I don't know how it does, but it does. And, but I think as well, Bruce, to me here, um, around this time was peaking as a vocalist. He'd abandoned that fear the dark kind of gravelly, whatever the hell he was trying. Uh, he'd explored on his own solo albums, uh, Accident of Birth and Chemical Wedding, where him kind of going back to his roots, in inverted commas. And I think by the time we got to Brave New World, this, this, these are probably the most powerful recorded vocal performances from Bruce. And I'm going to distinguish it by saying powerful. And I think maybe some of his best actual just singing in general was uh, on the Tyranny of Souls album. Yeah. But around that period of time, he was belting out Iron Maiden and he was changing the dynamics on his on his later solo album but i think around that five ish year window i think he was the strongest he's ever been this is a sweet spot where he had both the, the ability to hit those very high notes but he also his voice also gotten a bit deeper yeah, yeah so it was just right in that sort of when he was really i think definitely at his at his peak and this like if you listen to the the rock and rio uh live album that is that that is my favorite live album with the band yeah, same here, and I've probably said it before, even on this show, but yeah, that's, to me, the, the definitive live album for Iron Maiden as well, and I don't think it was ever as good before, and I don't think they've ever done any release since that's had as good quality a performance across the board, but especially Bruce. So, I mean, lyric-wise, I don't think there's, I think there's better lyrics on the album, um, but... Um having a sci-fi sort of title you've pretty much win me over immediately yeah. i mean like it's just it's it's an uplifting song it's like uh yeah it's it drags you out of that kind of maybe dip in the album it's catchy it makes me feel happy when i listen to it that's it and yeah i never really read into the lyrics too much having a brief look at them there yeah maybe some stuff about religion um one of the many kind of sci-fi um related songs on the album actually there seems to be a few of them um but yeah it's just uh a nice little kind of happy, uh, even though the lyrics are probably really doom-laden when you actually do focus on them. But it's a it's a nice way to kind of start the, the final piece of the album, I think. Um, and the, just the melodies in it as well are just unbelievably catchy. Maybe possibly the catchiest thing on the entire album, actually, I might dare to say. Oh, yeah. I think that if you get to the, the um, underneath decaying skies above, that he does something that's uh, underneath. I, I'm not going to attempt to sing it even because I'm going to mess it up. Yeah, but they're yeah. so they're so incredibly catchy, and it's like I said, it's dark, messed up, not messed up, but it's pretty dark subject matter. But it's mm. such a catchy melody line that it sort of it, it makes you happy just hearing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's celebrate the decaying skies. There you go. Yeah, and like you know, the punishment is death. We're all live. Yay! Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> death. Are there any maiden songs that are, as far as lyrics go, actually happy songs? That's a very good question. Um, I suppose Heaven Can Wait is kind of a positive song. Basically yeah. saying, I'm not ready to go yet. I've more business to take care of here, so Heaven Can Wait. So like I say, there's tons of songs that sound happy, that have that, like have this, but are definitely, I would say, not. Yeah. Like, for me, the clairvoyant has a very sort of energetic kind of feel to it, but those lyrics are not particularly cheery. No. Um, yeah, certainly nothing on the early albums really was particularly happy. Um, trying to think of anything else, really. I don't know. Yeah, no, not not too often. They're they're mostly about history, war, murder, yeah. death. <laughs> I mean, there's tons of early stuff with like uh, with, with, during the Paul era. 
that sound kind of cheery, but most of those, a lot of those, tons of those, a strange amount of songs back in that era was about him, about him being allegedly accused of murdering someone, often, often women. Yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are we, the prisoner maybe, somebody escaping from prison. I'm not a number, I'm a free man. Yeah, so it is, yeah, it is sort of, but it also coming from a place of, there's a bit of darkness in there too, because he's obviously not free initially and then eventually yeah. gets out. So even their, their cheeriest stuff is either someone who's, who's apparently about to die, but then just is not ready to die. So even the cheery bit still has a bit of... Death! I have one for you. Uh, Wildest Dreams, actually. Even though I do strongly dislike the song. But uh, that's about, like, you know, positive um, emotions, uh, realizing your potential, telling yourself, making a deal with yourself that you're going to achieve what you're capable of. It's basically one of those inspiration. Someone like uh, posting uh, often a black and white picture of themselves, and then with something they're going to be doing this year that they haven't done before, and like or like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's but it, it's it's one of those inspirational Facebook posts, but in song format. Yes. So that 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 is definitely one. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, there's a couple yeah. in there. Yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. If anyone else can think of one, there, you know, you know, let us know. There's, there's. I'm sure there's other ones we're forgetting. Wait, uh, Drifter doesn't he? That that's pretty. It's him singing stuff. He's even he, he even yells rock and roll in the beginning. Yeah, geez, I mean, like that's one I'd actually have to look at the lyrics of now because I could not remember them off the top of my head. But um, it could literally, considering the era, could be him yelling rock and roll and then explaining the fact that he was accused of murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as you know, I'm listening and commenting as I go along. I was about to comment. Hey, come on, Wildest Dreams. That's clearly a positive song, right? And I thought Fergal wouldn't mention it because he doesn't like it. But that he did. And then I thought of Drifter immediately, which Eric mentioned. Gonna keep on moving, gonna sing my song. Kind of a positive song about, maybe about being an artist, a touring artist. And that in turn made me think of Journeyman, which is also a positive song. So positive songs bookend the Dance of Death album, actually. Woohoo! Death. We die, we die, we die, we die, we die. All right. Well, let's see. So this was this song was um, released as a single uh, way back when. Mm-hmm. But they they did the same thing they unfortunately did uh, with the few times they played it live, where they skipped the whole intro. Yeah, yeah. The, the intro, which we were saying, is probably like one of the better parts of the song and does take you out of that dip in the album um, just because it's so melodic and catchy and different to what you've just heard. Yeah, but when they play it live, they just start from the heavy guitar chords, um, which skips the best part. Well, no, not the best part, but skips one of the really good parts. I think you need the sort of slow intro, with the, especially in the, just when Bruce starts, when the vocals start and you have the, the uh, sort of clean guitars there. I think that is that lifts stuff so much when you get to the next bit. And I think if you just have all the the payoff, it's like watching like the, uh, it's like a movie if you just watch the, uh, you know, the sort of the, you, you skip the whole first act and just jump into the action stuff. It's not going to be as, it's not going to be as uh, re- rewarding if you don't have the, you don't take the whole trip, I feel. Mm, exactly, yeah. And you're thinking like, you're going to release the single, which sounds more commercial? Um, that like nice melodic guitar intro at the start or just those heavy guitar chords uh, kind of beating you over the head. Although I suppose you have to wonder who it was being aimed at at the time uh, in late 2000, 
obviously the heavy metal scene was quite a lot different um to what it had been in the 80s and 90s so i don't know i don't know why they chopped that bit off though it it's it's like <laughs> it's cutting off a limb of the song i think and for what reason so if you're an attentive listener you have noticed that i actually am in favor of not doing that intro i don't find much meaning in it however there's another problem with the single edit it's a really ugly way they have chopped down the slow bit in the middle and the solo just kind of doesn't make sense and i think fergal was alluding to it or halfway getting there but um, on the question what's most commercial the or the nice chords this is the year 2000 and metal was a lot about the sugar 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 at that time so that could have been part of it anyway i'll splice in uh, that really bad solo edit or bridge edit I mean, what the hell was that? Terrible way to edit it. And if Chaka Chaka Chug was fashionable around that time in metal, one thing that sure as hell was not fashionable was guitar solos. So it's like both edits that we have addressed, they kind of reek of uh, trying to get with the times, which uh, throws, well, a very small, but throws a little shade on what Iron Maiden were at this time. And of course, even though I'm favorable of the first edit, the second edit is so bad, so I prefer the album version. I mean, I guess the previous single, I think coming off that, they probably wanted to do something similar. And it, mm. I guess I don't if, if that's what they wanted to do. There's probably other songs in the album. Yeah, uh, probably the probably the mercenary would have worked better for what they were perhaps trying to do. What they tried to do with this than than. Mm. than Wicker Man got to number nine in the UK singles chart. Out of the Silent Planet got to number twenty. All right, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, f- I think that if you if you listen to the the intro, of this there's a uh, the guitar line, um, the guitar melody that kicks it off. For me, is a big part of the song's uh, identity because otherwise, if you just jump into the it's just a bunch of chords. And I mean, there's some cool guitar melody bits as well. But yeah, and actually, now that I think of it, that's actually not too dissimilar from how the Wickerman starts. Maybe they were trying to emulate the success of their their number nine single by chopping off the bit that <laughs> made this individual and actually yeah, making yeah. it sound closer to how the Wickerman sounds. Uh, who knows? You're right, Eric. It's a big part of the. Uh identity of the song however i remember when we confirmed that we were going to do this song with infinite maiden christian listened to it for the first time and he immediately wrote to me or commented what the fuck is up with that intro what were they thinking and i think what he caught on to there is the rhythm is a bit staggered in a weird way like it's a little bit jarring i think so that might have been something he caught on to. And uh, I also think about something Axel said back in the Legacy episode. There's this guitar break where Jan comes in alone. And uh, Axel claimed very correctly that the tone of his guitar is so nasal. 
So nasal. And you get a bit of that here, too, I think. I guess considering where they were at in the Virtual 11 days, number 20 is not bad. No, um, it's not at all, actually. Uh, I wonder what Angel the Gambler charted. <laughs> could find out. <laughs> oh, God. Hold on a sec here. The Angel and the Gambler. I have a feeling this wasn't didn't do too badly, actually. Uh, UK singles, number 18. Oh, wow. So one higher than uh, Out of the Silent Planet. But th- that one, the, that that's... Well, I, I sort of mentioned that um, uh, I find that radio edits can sometimes sort of uh, remove a bit of the identity of the song. But I think for the Angel and the Gambler, the radio edit is superior to the album version. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a... They showed us some mercy with that one. <laughs> That's what surprised me. The first time I heard that song, I think I did. It was via the music video, and and um, and that version is obviously a lot shorter than the uh, mm. than the lovely album version. Yeah. Uh, so when I got the album, I was a bit uh, like, "Why is this? Why is this this long?" Uh, yeah, but do you know what? Like, I sometimes the the radio version or whatever the hell you want, the single version. Um, is just different and better in general. Do you remember that Halloween song that came out, which was promoting the new album, the self-titled album there the other year? Was it 2021? I forget. Yeah, yeah. But it was Sky, Skyfall. And I loved the radio edit or whatever they're calling it mm. these days of that. And then when the album came out, you could only ever listen to the full one, which added maybe about three or two or three minutes onto it. But there was bits they left out and bits they chopped up. And I was like, oh, give me give me the original one, <laughs> which is obviously yeah, not yeah, the yeah. original one, no. but it's the one that I grew to love. Um, so I suppose there, there might maybe there's some people who prefer. I don't know. I think that it's, it's, it's interesting that they would do a radio version um sort of in this day and age because it seems like that trying to fit it into a you know a, an MTV size kind of situation is not really relevant anymore yeah I suppose it was more that I think the album version of that song the Halloween one was probably closer to 10 minutes and the one that they released as a single was I don't know about three minutes shorter so even maybe in the YouTube age um, they still think that if they can grab they might be more easily able to grab seven minutes of somebody's attention rather than 10 i don't know so seven minutes 22 was the was the single version and the one on the album was probably a whole lot longer than that uh, sorry sorry this isn't really relevant at all anyway yeah it was 12 no, minutes so and 11 sorry so yeah there was a considerable that, difference yeah that is, that's very true are you a big halloween guy i'm not a huge halloween fan i love absolutely love Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2 yes, as, a, yes. as an album. Uh, the first one I like, but the second one is just a perfect European power metal album, I think. Mm. And I like albums in their discography throughout the years as well. I couldn't say I'm a massive fan, but I am a fan, let's say. But that album in particular, I love, absolutely love it. It's, just, it's perfect. Yeah, it's great, it's great. It's also the kind of thing where I, whenever, I, 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 whenever I listen to that one, I feel like, oh, I really should check out more of their stuff, and then I just don't for some reason, but that, that's a really good one. Yeah, and like, I mean, I, did, I have listened to the first album a few times. I know there's people who are like, uh, that's Halloween for them, like the Walls of Jericho, and, and that's it. Like, they don't like when it goes kind of more paramedically. Um, and then obviously they had the new singer coming in, but there's some of those 90s albums are really good, Master of the Rings, Time of the Oath. Um, and the most recent one, sorry, I thought was excellent, where they had the three different singers on it, um, mm. despite the fact that they got rid of my radio version of Skyfall. But yeah, see, it's weird. Like I, When I say I wouldn't consider myself a huge fan, I could probably sit and talk to somebody about Halloween for half an hour to an hour. But to me, I still don't consider that being a huge fan uh, because I 
don't, I've never seen them live. I don't own a load of their albums or anything like that. But um, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, I'm a fairly decent fan of them. I was going to see them live way back um, when I started. This was like in... I don't know if it was cancelled what was going on, but because uh, this would have this would have been the virtual eleven era, and I was sort of bec- I became aware of Iron Maiden. This is before I really started listening. I think they mm-hmm. were they were playing with uh, them uh, here. This is still when this was you know obviously when Blaze is still the band. And then that I don't know if that didn't happen or it did happen. I just didn't go. And then mm-hmm. I uh, and then you know next year the year after that uh, you know Bruce was back and that one I did see, but I never I never ended up seeing Halloween. I'm pretty sure it did happen. Because my often mentioned cousin went to that gig at uh, what could he have been then, like 10, 11, something like that. He went to see that show, and that also prompted him to get a fair few of the Halloween CDs for his collection. So I was introduced very early on, and even still, I, I just never liked that band. I just found it way too silly, way too, well, flamboyant. And I mean, I'm a Maiden fan, so go figure. And then when Blaze came around, after, yeah, well, after Brave New World for the Silicon Messiah tour, he came here as the opening act to Halloween. And I remember I really wanted to go there, but I was uh, situated in, in the mountains up in the valleys and 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 the valleys, uh, snowboarding with my family. So I, I just couldn't catch the gig. And there was this review in uh, one of the Swedish newspapers uh, that said, well, it wasn't very favorable to Halloween. It they said, a spittle in the face of the fans, which I think it must have been a little bit too harsh. It's a shame. Like, they'd never play over here, unfortunately. They might play the UK, but, like, it's... I don't think they've ever played in Ireland, and it probably won't happen now at this stage. It, funnily, I do have two Halloween patches on one of my jackets, so if somebody was looking at that, they might think, well, he's obviously a huge Halloween fan. Not really, because the jacket is more about the people I had on my podcast, as opposed to being a representation of all my favorite bands but uh yeah one of these days somebody's going to catch me out for the name five songs thing i'm i'm going to be fucked <laughs> I, i'm always interesting because because i think that some sometimes um because uh, the whole sort of you know oh you know you, you name five songs situation and that's usually often unfortunately i think it's something that uh somewhat of an older person attacking often a girl wearing a mm. band shirt for some reason mm. i don't know why the fuck they figured well that's why they but that's what people do apparently yeah. now i feel patches though somehow get uh, a pass that t-shirts don't sometimes do you think so mm. i don't know i think that's sort of because you know yeah well people do have so many on their jackets as well so uh i, I find it hard to actually take in when i'm looking at somebody's patch jacket and you don't want to be staring at them for five minutes either so you just kind of take no. a glance at it and you're like oh that's pretty cool yeah um of course i could name five halloween songs i was exaggerating there but sometimes you know the odd kind of bit of um imposter syndrome does creep over you and you're like imagine somebody wanted to get into a really really deep discussion about halloween and uh, i wasn't able to keep up with them uh, so i have that mild anxiety sometimes about that yeah, yeah, I, I, I can get what you mean there. I mean, like, I, I have, uh, I would say I love Saxon. I don't necessarily, if someone asked me to sort of like just, you know, fucking fire off their entire discography, I can't do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but most people can't, and that's the thing. It's only a very, very small number of people who actually would be able to do that. And most people lie somewhere in the middle. They're a casual fan who knows Wheels of Steel, or the other extremity, they could fire off the entire discography. But really... The majority of people exist in the middle and they have varying levels of knowledge and that's completely acceptable and, and we don't expect this type of uh savant level of knowledge about any other aspect of any other pop culture from anyone so no no, no. <laughs> why do we expect that with heavy metal or do we i don't know there is an expectation there and on the part of some people though 
So, some people have that. I think that sometimes I, I put a bit of that in myself about like, like, well, I mean, I don't, I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know the, the discography of like any, I mean, like obviously if it, I can't compare it to Maiden because I obviously know that's obviously what my band, I know the most yeah. about. Now, you know, if I can do this, I've been doing this podcast for, you know, two and a half years, obviously, I know more about Maiden than I would about another band, but so I, I can't compare it to that. But sometimes I do, anyways. Like, like, well, maybe I shouldn't wear the put this thing mm. on because I don't. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Well, then you'd uh, never allow yourself to wear anything, <laughs> would you? No. Like, well, I don't know them as well as the band that I've been doing a podcast about for two years, so I sh- I'm not a real fan. Yeah, this is a very interesting discussion. I think. Well, in terms of expectations, what you expect fans or uh, I don't know people to know about a pop cultural phenomenon like a band it depends i guess i mean if it's nerds you expect a lot of that that's like a certain level but if someone is just wearing a t-shirt hell no i wouldn't expect anything like that or a patch for that matter me myself maiden i know a lot about i also do a megadeth podcast and i haven't even heard every single song by megadeth and i don't feel any imposter syndrome doing that well also i have greg with me who knows more but uh, yeah, it goes into my t-shirt collection as well. I have a few t-shirts because I kind of like the idea of supporting that band or I like the logo. Or I just think, yeah, it looks cool. So I have some t-shirts with bands that I, well, I could name five songs, but that's just about it. I haven't been called on it. Actually, I've never seen anyone get called on this either, but I'm sure it occurs. Anyway, interesting discussion. And I mean, also, there's people on the. We've had people on the show who 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 know who know way more than I do about this band. Mm. And you know, you, you can't yeah. compare yourself. It just said, but I do get the imposter syndrome thing about that. I think that it's, it's a bit it's a bit silly, but that's what you know. That's have I dreamt this, or do you have fucking metal patches? Uh, I do have them. Yeah, I got it. Twenty of them made. And uh, at one point, I was going to post them out to several people, and I think I even said it to several people, but I never got around to it because uh, I'm an asshole. But um, <laughs> I got them printed versions done, and I did give a few of them away. Uh, I'll give you one when you're in Dublin. How about that? Yeah, that, that sounds very good. I, I would love that. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I, I got a run of 20 of them done. What I would do next time is go for woven patches or embroidered. These were printed, so it's just a screen print of the artwork. Um, I don't know if there's any real market or anything, of course, for any of that. But like, uh, I could see myself shifting a few of them, you know. Um, if I ever go down that route again, I did a thing with mugs and all that shit a couple of years ago, t-shirts. Um, it was probably far too early to be experimenting with that type of stuff. But I was also like that naive new podcaster. Oh, I have a hundred Twitter followers. I should make t-shirts. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you always. It's funny because you sort of assume. Um, when you have like, oh look, look at you know, you have so and so many followers, and you like assume, well, well, if you have X amount of followers, you should definitely have at least X amount of so and so available because obviously they're all gonna no, they're not all gonna buy that. It's ridiculous. And yeah, but I've yeah, done the same thing, and you know, yeah, um, I think we sort of assumed. I'm very, very. So this is a sort of peeking behind the behind the curtain here. I was we 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 recently did a, you know launched t shirts. Yeah, so this that. pod. We, we were t- discussing how, how different ways to do it. Just do pre-orders, and, and we'll, then we have all the, you know, we know how many we're going to need, we'll order them mm. I'm very glad we did it that way, because yeah. uh, it'll be a full-time job sending out these shirts. No, that's probably <laughs> not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So you're making them to order kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. up until a certain point, we're taking orders, and then I'll order them all, and then I'll get them mm. sent out. 
And it probably won't be the me having to like, well, I'll take a leave of absence from work and just sit at home packing shirt. No, yeah. that's not going to fucking happen. Well, well, see, that's the thing. Like, because you don't know how many to order in which size either. I only did a small run of t-shirts, but I, I've like, I think I've like a an extra small women's one and a, an extra extra large men's one or, or an extra large men's one left. Like, I've absolutely nothing. I can do it these really but they're sitting there anyway do you know what I was thinking actually do you know when Saxon um, it's common for the fans to throw up their patch jackets onto the stage and Biff will yeah. sign it etc and they wear it and all that uh, I was thinking afterwards I should have brought my feckin' metal t-shirt and thrown it up onto the stage <laughs> I'm good I know but uh, anyway missed opportunity speaking of missed opportunities I can see now in my DAW that uh, Eric and Fergal are pretty much heading in for rotation right now so I thought I'd take the opportunity to do uh, a little bit of uh, the musical analysis in this song. I think lyrics, uh, well, they said more than I know. So not going to add to that. But um, as far as music goes, some bits and bobs to go through here. So this is the what the fuck were they thinking part, according to Christian. I don't know. Actually, the chords beneath, now that I look closely, are pretty cool. Kind of grand and open. Like space. Boom. A little bit like uh, this would be Jenny Kerr's Moonchild. Something like that, you know, those chords in the beginning on top of that synthesizer. Yeah, pretty much fits together. I'm not sure how that staggering rhythm would work with the massive Moonchild chords, but there is some similarity there, I would say. And also in Moonshile, of course, first the chords are... And then for tension, the final chord is switched out, so like, uh, something like... Very nice. Actually, that is also a bit similar too. Right? And yeah, I mentioned the tension chord because I noticed in uh, Silent Planet, the intro, it also has the tension chord towards the end, right? Could it be even a similar type of coloring? Uh, I'll try and play along as we listen. They were so alike. Okay, here comes the tension chord. Alright, that differentiated a bit from Moonshile actually. Here's the classic millennia era maiden chord progression E minor, C major, G major, D major. In my opinion, one of the more boring chord patterns, but uh, well, it's songy. Play along guitar with the vocal melody, which will reoccur later. Uh, And then this quite simple but effective uh, E shot rhythm, E power chord. Verses are really quite fun. Not only are the vocal patterns and vocals awesome, really fun riff too. What I played just now was 
kind of like a combination of Adrian's stuff and Yannick's stuff in the verses. So, I mean, it's really nothing new under sun, but uh, I like Adrian's. I think this must have been something Adrian added. I mean, it's not nearly enough for a writing credit, but this chord. Typical of that kind of melancholic feeling. It's an add nine. So you have the, this would be a normal power chord with an octave. But instead of the, you add the, which is a very... Autumn blisters type chord, I think. What else to say? I'm not going to go through the whole thing, obviously, but yeah, the verses have the same chord pattern as the chorus to Evil Lap and Do, actually. And then. And that A, of course, adds something cool, I think, to the whole vibe. And that ends the uh, second repeat of the verse chord figure. Third is back to ECD again, and then the fourth is also ECD, but you will get the A, but in the pre-chorus, so like... Uh pre-chorus. And then that's a little lick. And this last D pulls you back to the chorus, right? chorus i mean sure i slag off on that chord pattern but it's a it's a very songy chorus very sing-songy and there's harmony vocals here as well which uh, i mean some of our guests have complained about the lack of in uh, latter maiden but you get a, a second harmony christian sings it live i can't remember how it goes but it sounds kind of naive on its own fits really well together with the main one something more i, I want to pinpoint is a thing done above the chorus sort of an octave lead type thing. Adrian does it live. I checked the clips from South America, but uh, I'm not sure if uh, it could be Yannick on the album. Who knows? Uh, I mean, someone's got to do it live, right? Uh, it's kind of nice. It's, it reminds me a bit of skate punk, to be honest. A little bit offspring. Kids aren't all right. That type thing, you know? Like Fergal said before, the song plays with different tempo feels. So you get the first, of course, the campfire version of the chorus. Then you get the chorus with just the ringing chords, I think, in halftime. And then you get the galloppy chorus, the classic. And I recall some interview with Bruce. I think it was his idea that let's make them wait for it. Not sure it sounds so powerful, though. I kind of liked it more when it was open. To be honest. Let's add an extra harmony. See? That wasn't so hard.
bridge breakdown. Kind of a funky groove, I like it. <laughs> Yannick solo. It's actually pretty cool, I think. Chopped up into little bits with wild licks and pauses in between. That was an intense final bend. In this part, I always felt it was kind of a harmony part, really. Alright, I think before I start having too much fun, we should send it back to Fergal and Eric. Do you have anything else that you uh, that we haven't touched on thus far? Not really, no. It's one of my favourite songs on the album, and always has been. I just love it, and it's it's timeless to me. And some of these songs, I, I feel, are very of their time, so around this era. For example, Rainmaker. Mm. It comes out of the gate, catchy as fuck. You think it's brilliant, you love it, you're singing it all the time. That hasn't held up as well for me as Out of the Silent Planet. And I could I think agree. of probably one or two others from the same era. So I'd say it's has more, for me, lasting ability than something like Rainmaker, which is mm. equally as catchy, but maybe not, it doesn't have the same shelf life. I definitely agree. I think that uh, when I initially heard Rainmaker, I, I, I loved it. Mm. I thought the video was cool. I thought it uh, sounded way edgier and cooler than Wildest Dreams. Yeah. Um, but it's still, I mean, I still enjoy it. It's just, it hasn't really, it, it's faded a little bit. For this one, is for me, this is still, uh, I still love this one. Uh, obviously, this is going on the list. On the list, oh yes, the list, of course. Um, is it, though? The top 50 Iron Maiden songs, is that, that's the general premise, isn't it? Yeah, but here's the way it's going to work. And so essentially, when we eventually get through the whole thing and sort of start, Figuring out a, a way to sort of, sort of whittle it down a bit. Some of them I know are going to disappear, uh, and there's stuff on the list that I that, that I like way less than this. So I feel this definitely should have a place there. It might it might not stay. Let's have more than fifty on the list now. Oh yeah, I mean I think it was like fifty. I think we actually just crossed the fifty mark. Okay, I, I put this on the list. Yeah. Right. So before we sign off here, let's do a quick uh, rotation. Uh, what have you been listening to lately? Oh, yeah. So actually quite a whole lot of Saxon uh, in the lead up to those gigs last mm-hmm. week. Um, and afterwards, even as well, I was still playing their music. I, I find sometimes after I go to a, a gig, maybe, like especially Iron Maiden, 
I don't really want to listen to the music for a while after that. It's it's like my interest has peaked and it has to drop again until it peaks maybe another time. Uh, but yeah. with Saxon, when I came back um, during the week, I was still listening to Saxon and I was just like, Jesus, th- those were just great gigs. And I'm so glad I went to them now with the whole Paul Quinn yeah. news and all that. And it was still, um, I'm still playing it on Spotify and stuff. Um, other than that, I had a sneak peek at the new Night Demon album there. It's not released until next week. Uh, but I did an interview with Jarvis Letterby on Friday, and he sent it to me. Um, so I had to listen to that, and I will say it's the best Night Demon album so far, I think. And by the time this episode is out, obviously, everyone will be able to listen to it. Uh, but that was really good, really mature kind of songwriting, quite different, some longer songs in there. And... I'm sure, like, yeah, as I said, when, when this is out, you'll be able to hear that, but Outsiders yeah. named the album, and it's fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard, I've heard, uh, I've not really gotten into them very much, but I've heard, I've heard good things. I think probably, I think you probably mentioned them on this show at some point, have you not? Sure, I probably did, yeah. So, someone definitely did. Um, I've also been listening to a lot of Saxon, uh, yeah. and also, uh, I've, I've, uh, just when it, actually when I was, um, uh, sitting in the airport waiting for the, Plane home in Edinburgh. I discovered, or discovered, that sounds like I unearthed some magical secret. I, I listened to Biff's solo album for the first time. Oh yeah, where he I does really um, like throw down the sword and all those. Yeah, uh, by Wishbone Ash. Uh, yeah, I, that was good. And I, do you know what? I meant to listen to that in advance of interviewing him, but I didn't because I just had too much to do to to cram for that. But um, I do remember at the time thinking there were some all right songs on it he seemed like a pretty easy guy to talk to is that is that am i reading the room right or how's that because sometimes you can tell when you listen to an interview someone like this must have been a bit rough he was actually an easy person to talk to and i think it was um i i i decided to focus on um talking about that documentary from a few years ago because i thought Mm. it was really interesting to reflect on it now that it's been so long um and then i was throwing in a few references to his book as well so i had listened to people and both of those are old like the book was out in 2007 and so is the documentary but i had listened to a few recent saxon interviews or biff interviews in the run-up to that and i was like well i just want to ask him something completely different because this is all the same you know it's Mm. like how do you choose a set list for a gig and what's the songwriting process like and how does the studio (laughs) work and it's just like come on for fuck's sake he's 72 years old he's been getting asked this for 40 something years (laughs) so i tried to pick something a bit different and i noticed he was chuckling along when i was asking him questions about the documentary and all and i was like okay he's, he's he's loosened up quite a lot here now this is this is fine this is going well but there was loads of other stuff i wanted to ask him as well which i never got around to um but anyway sure that's always the way but yeah he was easy to speak to and i I felt he could laugh at himself and uh have a joke and stuff as well like but i felt he was engaged in talking about a couple of things maybe that he hadn't spoken about in a very long time it was a good if you haven't heard it uh go check it out um it was i thought it was delightful also yeah i've also listened to i think this was i think you recommended uh, celtic legacy is that oh yeah yeah, their latest album was very. I've been enjoying that. Yeah, so that was actually that was a re-recording of two of um, songs from their first albums, first two albums oh. with the new singer. Um, well, he's not new; he's been in the band for years. But the first album you did with them, but I saw them recently live. They're brilliant. Um, yeah, so they're they're a great band in in Ireland, which has almost no bands on the scene who sound like them. So they're a breath of fresh air.
Okay, well, I think, uh, I think that is it. Thank you for being on this. I was going to say it wouldn't have worked without you, but obviously that's the case, because if you weren't here, it would just be me talking to myself about the song, and that would have been really weird. You'd be talking to the world. Force one of the cats to sit here as I talk about them. It would probably been very entertaining for anyone. Yeah, it's it's like other than doing my own podcast, I, I, I love doing this one as well, like probably just as much. Well, we'll definitely have you on again. We're, we're sort of, we're, we're, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're approaching the, we only have about, like, oh, 53 songs left, I think. Well, you probably got another couple of years out of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I definitely, I can, yeah, probably. But that still feels a lot. Doesn't feel like a lot because it feels like you know we started out there was so much to get through. Yeah. Like now, like yeah. Uh, but you've got like different types of episodes now. They don't always all focus on a song. I saw one of the episodes. Did Number of the Beast stretch over two episodes? Yes, it did. I didn't actually listen to that yet, but um, yeah, that's the first time I've seen that happen. Or has that happened before? No, off the top of my head. I think maybe okay. it's happened before, but I know there's definitely a couple more coming up that probably will... Probably Ronnie's Mariner will be a uh, multi Yeah, well, song. yeah. So I'll do what I usually say. I'll do what Jonathan usually says. Okay. Oh, no, wait, wait. Let's let's do this way. I'll do my... I'll do Dr. Irons. You do Skull from the North. Oh, will I say Skull from the North, though? That doesn't sound right. I'm not from the North. <laughs> uh, that, that'd be wrong. I'm so, I apologize to everyone at home. All right, so I'll do... I'll do the first two bits, and then you add something on. Whatever you want to do. Until next time, up the irons, school from the north, and... Slauncher. That felt way better than you saying school from the north. That would have been riots in the streets. <laughs> Fornicating in the streets. Yes, 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 yes. She used to be an iron horse 20 years ago. Used to bring the mail to me. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't mind having 90 tons of thunder delivering my mail. I've used this outro before on my other podcast, but you know, with that much Saxon in the rotation, I felt it was time for another ride. Byford was on Rockpodden, I think it was, here in Sweden. The recording somehow got compromised, so we had to redo the entire interview, which he did with no fuss and as much spirit. So yeah, probably a good interview, probably a good guy. Speaking of which... Huge thanks to Fergal, and of course, huge thanks to Eric, my brother in pods. See ya! Maiden A to Z, innit?